interplay that underlies many of our truly amazing cognitive abilities. So we're going to revisit, we're going to flesh out these characters more as we move onwards in our story of memory. We will also visit the brain structures that underlie these memory systems, the homes where these characters live, if you will, and we'll get a sense of what life would be like when those systems are damaged. Of course, none of us is getting younger, and the brain does deteriorate as we age, so given this, I will also highlight the fact that while some forms of memory do become less effective as we age, others do not. And even those that do degrade do so in the context of what could be best thought of as cognitive transformation. And this transformation includes both positive cognitive effects as well as the negative ones. As I'll also show you, you can keep your memory strong while also enjoying those positive cognitive effects of aging. We're also going to visit, by the way, some more extreme forms of memory impairment, like those associated with amnesias and Alzheimer's disease. And I will highlight how technology may eventually be used to provide so-called cognitive prosthetics to step in when the brain fails. Having introduced you to your memory systems, I would like to make a general comment about the study of memory. As in many fields, researchers tend to create a lot of specialized vocabulary, with new terms being regarded, well, almost like a toothbrush. Everybody needs one, but nobody wants to use anybody else's. So popular books on memory, well, they tend to be like researchers. They, too, tend to fixate on just one or two aspects of the subject, and they ignore the rest. In this course, by contrast, we're going to try to bring together the main insights of various research traditions, literally from across the field. Our goal is to build an increasingly rich vocabulary for understanding memory in all its complexity, from mnemonics to the first experiments, to cognitive psychology, to cognitive neuroscience, neuropsychology, and beyond. Now, building that foundation will at times take us through some relatively academic terrain, where the connections to everyday life might not be always so readily apparent. But I will try to highlight those where I can. My larger hope is that the journey as a whole will give you a far deeper understanding of memory than you would get from any of the parts considered in isolation from one another. Understanding how our memory systems interact, sometimes together, sometimes at cross-purposes, will be with us throughout this course. In the next lecture, we'll work on improving our ability to remember using techniques that have been around since ancient times and techniques that really do work. Do you wish you could improve your memory? Well, follow me, we'll retrace the steps of the ancients and encounter the ancient art of memory. Lecture 2, The Ancient Art of Memory. Anytime I give a lecture on memory, one of the first questions I get always goes something like this. Sometimes I have a lot of trouble remembering things that I really want to remember. Things like, well, grocery lists or names of people that I've just recently met. Is there anything I can do to improve my memory? Well, it turns out this question is far from a new one. We know this because one of the very first strategies used to improve memory, the strategy that I'm going to highlight in this lecture, dates back to the classical periods of Roman Greece. So to anticipate, yes, it is possible to improve your memory, 
And in this lecture, I will show you some of the tricks and techniques that you can use to do just that. But hang on. If you've been paying attention so far, you may be saying to yourself, but wait a minute, there is no single thing called memory. Rather, you said there were multiple memory systems. Which one are we talking about improving? I'm glad you asked. Because this is an important point, and it's one that many books on memory improvement just don't address. So usually when people talk about improving their memory, they're talking about improving their memory for things like grocery lists or to-do lists. Maybe people's birthdays or especially their memory for the names of people that they've met but really don't know very well. Now it turns out we all have a lot of trouble remembering names. And it's a problem that seems to get even worse as we age. Well, by the end of this lecture, you'll understand why that is. And maybe you won't feel quite so bad for yourself having so much trouble with names. But let's go back to that question. Which memory system are we talking about? Because if we think about this a little bit, it, it may help us to kind of congeal the information that I talked about in lecture one. So for starters, we're, we're clearly talking about long-term memory. When we make a grocery list or to-do list, it's something we do now, but it's something that we hope we'll be able to retrieve later. So given what we learned last lecture, that narrows it down to either episodic memory, semantic memory, or procedural memory. Well, obviously, this isn't about any sort of motor behavior like dancing or playing sports, so that rules out procedural. With respect to a person's name or birth date, well, if we know that person well, say like a spouse or a child, then these things are semantic memories. We just know their names and birthdays. Sure, yeah, we sometimes forget, especially those of us who are men, and especially when the date in question is an anniversary, but we all have the hardest time remembering newer information, new names, new dates, this week's grocery list. Those things are episodic memories, and so mostly we will be focusing on improving episodic memory in this lecture. Now that said, we will come back to the other memory systems in subsequent lectures, so dare I say I won't forget about them. But I just want to begin by focusing on our ability to remember new bits of essentially random information. So that will be the context for now. Imagine you've been exposed to some new information and you want to remember it later. What do you do? So why don't we start with a demonstration and then use that demonstration to highlight some of the relevant principles and techniques that I want to show you. So let's say you offer me the following challenge. You will give me a list of 14 unrelated words and my task is not only to remember those words, but also to remember them in the order that you give them to me. And I have to do this both over a short time period and also over a longer time period. So, we'll test me just after I learn the list, but we'll also test me again at the end of this lecture. I can virtually guarantee you that I will be able to pull this off. And during the middle part of the lecture, I will show you how it works so that you can do it too. Now, you and I currently exist in a, in a different time and place, and that will make it hard for us to interact directly. So to do the demonstration, I've come up with another way. I'm going to start this demonstration with 14 words that reflect events or locations associated with my weekday routine. They really represent my morning ritual, 
And it's a ritual that's pretty consistent. Basically, I wake up in bed, that's a good thing, I go downstairs for breakfast, and I walk my two dogs, Lola and Layla. I then iron my clothes, I have a shower, I get dressed, put on my shoes, and hop in my car. I go past a school, then a little later, a church, and then a relatively famous local landmark, Ted's Diner. Then I pull into the university, I grab a coffee, and I go to class. So I can think of these words, okay? And let me just kind of remind you of what those words are again. Bed, breakfast, walk, iron, shower, dressed, shoes, car, school, church, diner, university, coffee, class. Okay, these words represent that ritual I just told you about. And these words are really going to be critical because they are what I'm going to use to link other information, new information, to. All right, so what about that new information? Well, people here in the studio have come up with random words. These are the words for me to remember. And they've been placed in this, I guess what could be best described as an urn. I have not seen any of the words. I'll mix them up. And I will draw them out one at a time. And these will be the words that I will remember. Now, what you'll see is that I'm going to connect each of these words with one of those 14 words in my morning routine. And in so doing, I will be using uh, a mnemonic strategy called the method of loci. Okay, and I'll explain that a little bit more in a moment. Once I have the words connected, once I've done the association, then I will be able to recall them accurately and in order without studying them any further. What's more, I will come back to them at, at the end of this class, just, just around 25 minutes from now, and we'll still be able to recall them in order. Okay, so here goes. Let me kind of tell a story now. We're going to take my morning ritual and we're going to embellish it thanks to the words in this, in this urn. So, start off. I wake up in bed. Let me pull out a word. The word is sand. Okay, I didn't sleep very well. Obviously, I didn't sleep very well because somebody kicked sand into my bed. Made it very uncomfortable. But that's okay. I wake up, I go down for breakfast. Ocean. Beautiful. For some reason, there's an ocean outside the breakfast window. It wasn't there the night before. For some, I don't know where the ocean came from, but now I can eat my breakfast overlooking the ocean. What a fantastic image. Great. After breakfast, I go for a walk with the Wonder Dogs. And I have the word elbow. Hmm. Walking with the Wonder Dogs, elbow. Uh, well, let's just say the Wonder Dogs are a little feisty today, and they're pulling me left and right and this way and that, everywhere we go. By the time I get home, my elbows, both of them, really sore from all this. All right, great. I'm home now, ironing my clothes. The next step, burglar. As I'm ironing my clothes, somebody has the nerve to start breaking into my window while I'm right there, ironing my clothes. Luckily, Lola and Layla, the Wonder Dogs, kick the burglar's butt. Cool. Now, shower. I go into the shower. Problem. Glue. It's not water coming into the shower today. It's glue. What a pain in the butt that is. Say no more. Get out of the shower. Somehow I get the glue off me. Time to get dressed. And shovel. 
okay, well, let's do a little bit of Groucho Marx or something. As I'm about to get dressed and there's the clothes on the floor, I step and there's a shovel that jumps up and bangs and hits me in the face. Why not? That works. Um, but I get dressed anyway, go to put my shoes on. Bacteria. Ah, don't we all hate this? My shoes smell horrible. Clearly it's bacteria. What can you do? I'm a guy. Happens. Uh, hop in the car. Okay, as I hop in the car, parade. Yeah, well, I open the garage door, I'm about to back out, and, but there's this parade on my, my street. And you know how parades are like, they don't allow you to just kind of jump in. So I have to sit there and I have to wait for the whole parade to go by. Fine, do that. Hop in my car, on the way, I drive past the school, local school, windmill. Well, it's a school that's really in energy conservation, so they've stuck a bunch of windmills on the roof. That's different, but cool. Makes a lot of sense in this day and age, right? Um, go past the church, next destination, and it's soccer. There's a bunch of uh, priests and rabbis out there playing soccer. I guess it's, it's a church, so it's a bunch of priests playing soccer uh, against the nuns, priests versus the nuns. I'm curious to see who will win, but I drive on anyway. Past the diner. At the diner, lemon. Okay. Well, the diners, for whatever reason, has decided to promote lemons, so all the specials today have, have lemons in them, somewhat. Doesn't sound very appetizing, but why not? Get to the university. Tarantula. Ah, don't you hate that? There's a tarantula infestation at the university. No big deal, but when I drive my car over it, well, you, you don't want to... You get, you get the idea. You get the image. Somehow I park. I manage to get by all the tarantulas, go for my coffee. And here's the word chess. So they won't give me my coffee until I beat them at chess first. Um, well, that's easy enough, right? So I do that. Okay. And finally, I'm at my class in the morning. And laser. Okay. I get to class and, and you know what happens. There's students with lasers and they're putting it on my forehead and stuff while I'm trying to teach. And, and that's very annoying, but that's how it is. Okay. So 14 words. You saw how much I thought about them. Um, I've formed all these associations. I'll look at the words no more. They shall stay in this little urn over here. And to demonstrate that I have indeed learned the words, let me recite them back to you, quickly mentioning each step of my routine to show you how I use them to remember the words. All right, ready? Here goes. I start in bed. Sand. There was sand in bed. Made the bed really uncomfortable. Go down for breakfast. There's an ocean. Ocean view that wasn't there before. Fantastic. Go on a walk with my dogs, pulling me every way, elbow, pulling my elbows out, right? Cool. Come back to iron, burglar. Burglar was breaking in as I was ironing. Lola and Layla kicked, him, kicked their butt, off they go. After I iron, I have a shower, glue coming out of the shower, okay? I then get dressed, step on the shovel, hits me in the face, drag. Okay, go down to get my shoes on, bacteria, my shoes are smelly. I have that bacteria smell, drag. Hop in the car. Open the garage door, there's a parade outside. Okay, can't go anywhere because of the parade, but eventually the parade passes. Start driving, I go by a school. The school had windmills on the roof. Energy conservation, excellent, windmills. Drive a little further, get to the church. Nuns versus the priests playing soccer. All right, so soccer was the church. A little further yet, past Ted's Diner, where lemons are the special of the day. Lemons at Ted's Diner. Pull into the university, tarantula infestation. Hate when that happens. I survive. Cool. Go for my coffee, have to play them a game of chess. So I beat them at chess, get my coffee, finally go to my class, 
and at class, those pesky students with their laser pointers are having a field day. Okay, I think I got them all. I hope so. Are you impressed? Well, don't be impressed yet. I mean, it's one thing to remember a list of items right after learning them. It's something else to remember them quite a while later, after our mind is kind of thinking about other issues. So let's see if what I did left a durable enough trace for me to remember it at the end of this lecture. But for now, let me move on to an explanation of why this strategy works and what it tells us about memory. It turns out that this desire to improve our memory is not new at all. The method that I just demonstrated is something called the method of loci, where loci is just a, a Latin plural of the word locus, meaning place. So this procedure literally dates back to the glory days of Rome, and at that time there were orators who would travel the land, stopping at various cities at banquets, and their responsibility at these banquets was to literally tell the leaders and the other important people of the city uh, the news of the realm, what was going on in other places. Now their credibility to do so depended on others believing that their memory of those events was accurate. So to prove their memory strength, they would very quickly learn the names of the people at the banquet. They would learn this just before the banquet started, and then they would literally introduce these people just before beginning to relay the news. So they would go table by table and introduce everyone that was there. This feat of memory would impress those there, and so then when the orator went on to tell the news, they would be much more trusted by the people who were hearing it. Now, how did they do it? Well, these orators tend to follow familiar routes when they traveled through the land. So they would go from city to city, location to location. And when they were trying to learn these new names, they would take these new names and these people, and they would kind of imagine them in these different locations. So using imagery or whatever else they could to strengthen that association, they would literally place these people along their normally traveled route. Then when it came time to retrieve those names, they would mentally travel that route again. And along the way, they would essentially collect the people and say their names as they did. If those associations they formed were strong enough, then retrieving the locations would provide a cue that would allow them to retrieve the name. So those locations played a critical role in terms of organizing this new information. By the way, this is pretty much what Simonides the poet did in Greece in 5th century BC. Simonides was the sole survivor of a roof collapse that killed all of the other guests at a large banquet he was attending. He was able to actually reproduce the guest list by imagining each table and remembering who he had observed sitting there. So he, he didn't really do the same kind of encoding I did, but because, he, because the people were already organized in tables and because he knew them, he was able to associate people with tables and then literally go table by table. So it's the same general process. In his case, the environment was providing the organization. Um, and his knowledge was allowing him to form those associations. But when the environment doesn't provide the organization, we can still do it ourselves. And that's exactly what I did with you um, in that demonstration I just performed. This is all really important because often when people say they can't remember something, they're implying that the problem they're having is with respect to retrieving the information out of memory. Okay, literally, the retrieval stage. 
They know they originally heard the information, for example, maybe some person's name that they met, um, or maybe they know that they thought about the chores they wanted to do, but when they needed to remember them, they couldn't, and they assume the problem is with respect to retrieval. Now, technically it's true. I mean, retrieval can fail, but the real lesson we learn from mnemonic strategies is that it's often not enough to just listen to something or to think about something. We really need to think about it deeply. Our ability to remember depends heavily on the way that we think about the information when we first encounter it. That is, when we encode it. If we encode the information well, we will have a much better chance of retrieving it later. Remember when we spoke of working memory? And I told you that it's a memory system that we use often to combine information from different sources to solve some new goal we have, some new task. I also told you it's very strongly linked to consciousness and our sort of mental thoughts. Well, any time that we encounter some information that we want to remember subsequently, we have a new goal. That is a goal. And therefore, it's working memory that we can best use to reach that goal. And it's working memory that we're using in the demonstration um, that I just gave to you. It's li literally taking information, combining it, and helping us to remember it better for later. If you think about that information properly at the time of encoding, that is, if you engage in the right techniques using your working memory, then you can in fact indeed the, uh, remember the information better. So again, these techniques have to do with encoding. It has to do with how you put the information into memory. And if you put it in the right way, it's easier to get it back out again later. So to make this kind of make sense, imagine the following. Imagine we have two boxes. One is pretty large, the other is much smaller. And imagine we have some recipes that we might want to use later. And we've written them down on small recipe cards, and we've made two copies of each recipe. One copy we just throw into the large box. The other copy we file into the smaller box, perhaps sorting it as we do, maybe according, for example, to the alphabet. So maybe apple pie is first, zucchini casserole is last. Now tonight, we decide that we'd like to make the portobello pasta recipe, um, and we know that we'd written it down. We also know we put it in both boxes. We tossed a copy into the big box, and we filed, in the appropriate spot, a copy in the small box. Now, what happens if we want to find this? Well, it'll be much easier to find this recipe in the smaller box. That is, both the time to find it and the likelihood of us actually finding it before we give up will be much higher if we look in the smaller, sorted box. In fact, if we had a whole bunch of recipes in that big box, we might find it almost impossible to ever find the recipe we want. We would know it's there, but we just couldn't bring it back. And this is a lot like when we know that we've listened to a name or, or thought of some chore we want to do, but we just can't remember it later. All right, so putting things in the right way helps you get them out. Now, it takes more time and effort, of course, to put things in to the recipe box and to memory in that organized way. But 
there's good dividends to be paid for that. And so really the point of this is that it's not about the size of your memory. These techniques are not about making your memory bigger. It's about storing information in your memory in a more efficient way that helps you get it out. Okay? So the first kind of variable that will help us do that is organization. If we organize information at the time of encoding, then we can learn to use that organization to enhance our memory. So what sort of things can we, can we do during encoding that'll do that? Well, let's return to that sorted recipe box. In that case, what we used to provide the organization was the alphabet. It gave structure to the information. Um, and we could use that structure to later retrieve the information we wanted. We know that portobello pasta, portobello, begins with a P. So we can search that small recipe box, find the, the P area, and even if we only sorted by the first letter, we would already be in the right area of memory. If we alphabetized you know, a lot more detail right through the letter, we could hone right in on exactly where that recipe is. It would be very efficient to be able to find it when it was put in in a highly organized way. So now let's think about that method of loci. We had new information to put into memory. For example, those words that were given to me to remember. But I didn't just throw them into memory. Instead, I took the time to attach each new piece of information to a structure. A structure that I already had in my memory. Not the alphabet, but my morning routine. By associating each piece of new information with something I can already retrieve easily from memory, I am essentially using my routine to get me to that right area of memory. Just like the alphabet lets us get to the right part of the recipe card file. So, right now is a great time for you to pause this lecture and come up with your own list like the one I used. Come up with your own morning routine or whatever it is. Make it long enough so that you can store lots of items if you need to. You can always just use part of that list. I prefer the list tied to my daily routine because I live a pretty consistent sort of life on weekdays, so that listing is, is quite ingrained in my mind. But maybe there's something else for you. Choose anything. Anything in which certain steps occur in a very specific order. As long as you know these steps and you know the order in which they occur, that's fantastic. So, right now, pause me for a moment and go write a list like that. Okay, so let's talk about what your list of cues can do for you. By having these well-structured memory cues, you can organize the information better in memory, and we can use this organization at retrieval to get us in the right general area of memory. Now, how do we get the information we want? Well, this is where the associations come in, as forming good associations is the second critical variable we can use to enhance our memory. You likely noticed that when I was associating the new information with my cues, I often made use of bizarre images. That is, I turned the words into images and joined the two bits of information in ways that were either slightly humorous or downright odd, like glue coming out of a shower, for instance. I did this because of research showing that we can remember bizarre things better than we can remember common things. So by forming strong associations between a set of organized cues, in my case my morning ritual, and some new information, I not only can get to roughly the right place in memory, but I can also use the associations to get the specific information I want. 
Now that you have your list of cues, let's practice using them. Either by writing your cues down or by working through them in your head, use them to memorize the following list of words. Newsletter, harpoon, window, chapstick, calamari, Elvis, pachyderm, tuba, donut, Popeye. Basically do what I did. Generate bizarre images that link the words to your cues. You can pause me again right now while you do that if you'd like. So how did you do? You can learn even from trying this just once, but you can start to get it really good at it with a few tries. By the way, there's another aspect of bizarre images that is very important. And that is the very fact that I turned each word into a picture in the first place. In so doing, I was creating a copy of the item. And I was storing the copy and the original in different parts of my brain. The word is a linguistic stimulus. It goes in the linguistic part of the brain. The picture is stored in the picture area. So I literally have two copies, almost like two recipes in one box, which will make it even easier to find. Psychologists call this the dual coding hypothesis. And based on it, they generally encourage people to, whenever possible, form multiple copies of a stimulus. So the dual coding is yet another variable that can help us to enhance our memory. Organization, association, and dual coding. As another example of a different strategy that also utilizes these three factors, um, you likely learned from your teacher this acronym, Roy G. Biv, an acronym which you can use to remember the colors of the rainbow. Now notice, Roy G. Biv was this imaginary character. Each letter in the name is associated with the color of the rainbow.